0: Welcome to another episode of The Piano Pod. I'm Yuki Song. I'm Clara Zhang. For anyone listening or watching our show for the first time, welcome. Clara and I are both classical pianists and piano teachers from New York City. This podcast is for anyone who plays the piano for fun, loves listening to piano music, or for someone who is currently pursuing a career in piano or works
1: in the industry professionally. In each episode, we interview a guest speaker who has been breaking exciting new ground in the music industry. Before getting started, we want to thank our amazing fans and listeners for tuning in. Please read our show and review it on Apple Podcasts because every reading review will help people find our show. Today, we have Dr. Ray Delille from
0: New Zealand who is a renowned piano pedagogue and author. So,
1: Clara, You discovered this amazing teacher, right? Right, Exactly. I was introduced to Dr. DeLeo's work a few months ago actually when an old friend, an old childhood friend, Freya from New Zealand, reached out and she said she's been following our show and uh, she and I actually lived in the same dorm when we were like 11 years old and she was a fantastic pianist back then. I remember her uh, vividly. And then she was like, uh, please, you know, you you should reach out to Dr. DeLeo. And then she just had these books published and then it it's just amazing. So yeah, I was very glad that she agreed to come to our show.
0: Yeah, can't wait to interview her and to hear her story. So let's get the show started. You are listening to The Piano Pod, where we talk to the brightest minds in the industry about how they are bringing the piano into the 21st century. We are honored to welcome Dr. Ray DeLeo, one of New Zealand's foremost piano pedagogues, Throughout her outstanding teaching career, she has produced many exceptional piano students who have won numerous major competitions in New Zealand and internationally. Dr. DeLeo's groundbreaking PhD research into focal dystonia has gained international recognition and led to presentations and keynote speeches worldwide. One of her publications, Focal Dystonia in Pianists, A Way to Recovery Through Retraining, includes more than 600 videos and is intended for both injured musicians and their therapists. Her experience in teaching students from very beginning to international competition winners, as well as her studies with renowned pedagogues such as Bridget Wilde, who was the student of Claudia Arau, and Cyril Smith, who was the student of Rachmaninoff and Maria Curcio, student of Arthur Schnabel, gives her a unique perspective on the development of injury preventative piano technique at every level, from the beginner to the advanced piano student. For more than 20 years, Dr. DeLeo taught at University of Auckland, where she later also served as head of the piano department. So, Dr. DeLeo, welcome. Thank you for being here today.
1: Yay. Thank you so much for joining our show, Dr. DeLeo. Oh, my goodness. It is so exciting to finally meet you. That's great. Thank you for having me. I was talking to an old friend from a long time ago (laughs) Freya and uh, in New Zealand and she one day she was uh, mentioning to me about uh, your books and uh, I think she also published some books recently I believe and then she was like you have to and she was like I've been following your podcast and you have to uh, please interview Dr. DeLeo and I was like okay so she sent me some information and then we reached out so oh my Goodness, I really enjoyed uh, reading the PDF and the video that you sent to us. And uh, but we want to first discover how how did you discover the love of music in the very beginning?
2: Well, I guess as a small child, my mother, who didn't have the opportunity to learn when she was small, um, she was practicing and she practiced uh, until she got to a, what we have uh, in the Associated Board System, uh, the, uh, grade eight. She got as far as that, but she didn't start as a child. So she was practicing a lot when I was growing up. So I heard the piano in the house and my father was an amateur flute player and he he just loved to play anything that he could lay his hands on. So he played a bit of violin, a bit of oboe, a bit of clarinet and a bit of flute uh, so there was music in the house and I think um, everybody loved music we all loved music I think I was lucky because they just wanted me to have the opportunity that they didn't have as young people. I mean, it was sort of after the war and there was not money around for music lessons much. And so they they were very keen that I was able to have that opportunity. And they were incredibly encouraging, actually. And I suppose, you know, growing up, it was just something that I did that I loved to do. I didn't really think that I would be a a professional pianist. I, I guess I was the sort of kid that I had lots of options going through school and um, I didn't really think it was possible uh, to be a musician. But then um, it really things snowballed, I guess, um, when I was sort of in my late teens. And I'd gone to university and I had uh, studied all sorts of other subjects like maths and psychology and, you know, a little bit of music, but it was just because I enjoyed it. Um, and then I was introduced, uh, I met a conductor, and he heard me play, and he said, I want you to meet Claudio Arau, because he's coming to New Zealand, and I'd want you to play to him. And I thought, what do I, why would I be asked to play to Claudio Arau, somebody said. Wow. Um, and so I did, and um, Claudio Arau wrote me a, a reference, which was, you know, just wonderful to have, and through that reference, and then the way things snowballed, the conductor asked me to play a mm-hmm. concerto, and... Um, those suddenly things snowballed, and I found myself in the UK studying music at the Guildhall School of Music. That was a big thrill, really. And the reason Definitely. I met Bridget Wild was through Claudio Arrau's um, recommendation. He was she was his representative in London, and so I spent I, the next seven and a half years in London. Um, you know, studying, playing concerts, um, just generally exploring music, really. Yeah.
1: Right. Wow. That's Such a story, right? Meeting someone like that, (laughs) as such a young age and snowball
2: things that sometimes happens in life that channel you in a certain way. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. And how did that uh, change you with? uh, especially later on as a piano teacher, right, and then you are, I know we have, you know, read a lot about you and you actually uh, help students to enter competitions. And do you feel like a fundamental, you know, at such a young age, you study with Aarau, uh, right? And then it, how how did that change maybe your perspective in life and especially in the
2: beginning? I incredibly lucky with the teachers that I had. I mean, you know, I had Bridget Wild, then I had Cyril Smith, who was a student of Rachmaninoff. Mm. He had, Totally different way of teaching, mm. um, and uh, then there was Maria Coccio who was a great, right. a, a golden person. Really, I mean, all sorts of famous people like Marta Agaric and so on would go and consult with her. So it, it, you know, she was um, on a different level in some way so but they were all incredibly different and so in my own playing i think that was really helpful Mm -hmm. Uh, and as i began teaching i explored the ideas from all three and then as i went on further just i don't know i guess you never stop learning when you're teaching and you know you learn from every student and and one of the things i was fortunate enough to do later on was to really travel around the world and interview Mm -hmm world-famous pianists and pedagogues and ask them specifically their ideas about technique so
1: wow that is so cool sometimes you know it's i remember when when i I went to school in kansas i haven't been to new zealand i would we would love to go and uh, but i know that it's uh, in new zealand right now the classical education is still uh, music education is still very strong right in the in the community, in the whole school system. And uh, um, but but I remember I had a teacher who had this tree and then put on the, you know, on the wall that, you know, somehow we're all student of the student of Beethoven, Mozart and all of those. And it's just so inspiring to actually see. And then you actually had a direct sort of like a tree, you know, from all these amazing that is
2: actually to see that genealogy of of um, Development right through list and and you know
1: as you say Beethoven, we can all trace ourselves back to there, which is wonderful. I'm also curious. Sometimes, you know, we all sort of uh, start with our performing career and I believe for you it was quite long and you really traveled around the world and for 20 some years and uh, you were such a beautiful performer and you played hundreds of concerts a year and both nationally and internationally as a soloist, accompanist and chamber musician. And then I also read that eventually there was a overuse of there's injury that occurred, which uh, abruptly ended your performance career and uh, that you start to or maybe had more time to concentrate on teaching. I'm curious how did it all happen? sure
2: well actually i was uh, at the time i had two small children and i thought mm-hmm. i would mum. so i was doing all these millions of you know hundreds of concerts you know a year um and yet i was trying to be a mother and you know all of that as well um and So I I also thought I could do things really quickly. And at the time, just before my injury, I was actually writing a course for the New Zealand Correspondence School. So I wasn't (laughs) practicing very much. And then suddenly I heard somebody, became ill and was unable to play the Shostakovich second piano concerto. So um, they said, would I play it? Well, I was due to play it later on in the year, but I hadn't learned it at that point. I learned the concerto in, I think, about nine days. I memorized it and i had it learned, but it's full of octaves. And at the mm-hmm. time, my octave technique wasn't that great. And I've got quite a small hand, and I was practicing these octaves in the Shostakovich. They go on for about four minutes without much break. And so I was going at it like an absolute maniac, and suddenly I felt something go snap in my wrist, and I thought, my goodness, what is that? And um, virtually overnight, my whole arms and my whole body just was riddled with pain, right from the waist up. It was like a a massive um, occurrence of collapse, it was like a physical collapse and so I never did the concert and um, I really didn't play after that, hardly at all I had enormous um, pain problems and the, I think the trouble was that I I didn't leave any stone unturned in my search for recovery, I went to every kind of therapist there was, you know I travelled the length and breadth, I went to Australia I just, you know, I was like a maniac trying to get better because it was my life, you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I think not all the treatments that i had were productive and there was one Mm. particular doctor who stretched the nerves so violently that from that day my condition became chronic and it turned into chronic pain so what happened then over those i tried for seven years to fix it but it didn't work and of course life takes over and i became more and more involved in teaching which i realized i really loved um so it wasn't the end of the world by that stage Mm. But I just couldn't ever get my playing back more than about 40 minutes before I would set off this pain reaction, which would go throughout my body and would disable me for a week, you know. And so it it was not something I could just work through because the problem that they now know about chronic pain is that it's neurological and that what you do is you... What I had done is I'd practiced that every... 40 minutes or so I would set off this pain system and that's what my body knew and it would do it absolutely without exception. Mm. And so the the strange thing about it is that even a couple of years ago, Um, I've got a, my, my daughter is a professional viola player. My son-in-law is a professional cellist. Beautiful, both beautiful musicians. Um, my son-in-law said to me, why don't we make a CD? Um, and I looked at him. and I thought, well, can I really do that? And then I, he said, well, look, we could do some songs and that wouldn't be very strenuous. And let's see if we can, you know, it's 20 years since my injury. You know, mm. I thought, well, okay, maybe we give it a, a try and so i went into chronic pain and learned about how to reprogram your pain system from an internet course uh, that i I subscribed to Mm -hmm. and, and a couple of other things where you actually train yourself to divert those reactions in a different way and so i was able to get through the cd and since then i've been able to play a concert which has been a terrific Um, I don't know it's like coming home really it it was just lovely to be able to play again and Mm. I I guess um, it taught me that actually chronic pain is it's a little bit like focal dystonia that I know you want to touch on Mm -hmm. Um, it's neurological and it needs reprogramming in the same way that focal dystonia does.
0: Wow, really? No, you know, I actually was listening to the CD. I mean, I mean just, a, uh, I think one song out of that CD album was on YouTube, and it was listening and then realized that, wow, that's your son-in-law playing cello, and then uh, your daughter is playing violin, so yeah (laughs) wonderful what a musical family so anyway yeah so speaking of that i really would like to know more about this issue with focal dystonia which is the neurological issue and we usually associate injury with pain only muscular pain and also joint pain which is like you know of course um, fatal to pianists as well so uh, you have such an extensive research on focal dystonia, so could you tell us? Um, it was way back in about 2004 or so.
2: Um, one of the students at the university was diagnosed with focal dystonia. Now, I knew a little bit about it because at the time I was having treatment from a doctor that was also interested in it. So he shared um, information about it in, while he was treating me. Anyway, I was kind of fascinated. And also our... New Zealand's most prominent concert pianist, Michael Houston, had suffered focal dystonia, and at that time he wasn't playing at all. Mm-hmm. Now, he, he's a terrific pianist. Uh, he was third in the Van Cliburn, and sixth in the Tchaikovsky. I mean, that level of playing. And he was um, afflicted with focal dystonia. And because I, I had helped this girl at the university, she wrote to him and she said, you should talk to Ray. She's got some ideas about this. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, why would he talk to another pianist? I mean, he's he was sort of like God in New Zealand, you know, for a pianist. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd been to lots of doctors, but it wasn't progressing. So anyway, because I was looking for a research subject at the university, we have to do research. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I know, I'm going to research focal dystonia. That sounds like a really interesting subject. Mm-hmm. And I, so I rang Michael up and I said, listen, would you come and talk to me about your dystonia? And he said, sure, I'll talk to you with a tape recorder if you like. And he showed me some of the things that the doctors were doing with him. And I knew he came to Auckland once a month and he had a team and they would have dinner together and they'd get around and they would watch him play and they would come up with ideas about what to do. And so he showed me what they were doing and I looked at him and I said, Michael, there's another way. I just instinctively knew that what he had to do was to completely strip his piano playing back to the most basic and build it up again like every building block okay. and so he I showed him a few things and he looked at me and he said I need to go on with this and I said well look it's no use if you only come to to Auckland once in a while mm-hmm. we need to actually work every day so I said why don't you come for 2 weeks we'll work every day and let's see if we can make any difference for that mm-hmm. and so he did and we worked and by about the fifth day, his trouble was that his fingers would go down together like that. He didn't know how to separate these two fingers. Wow. So five fingers would sound like that. He couldn't play five notes. Um, and so I knew I had to separate these two fingers. And, and I understood that it had to be a neurological thing, mm. but we had to find a new way. And I found... Um, I also wanted to get his whole body so that it was more involved in, in what he did. Um, and so, as we worked, we suddenly found by about the fourth or fifth day, maybe the fourth day, suddenly we were getting a little bit of separation. And he said, "I need to need you to talk to my doctors." So one of the doctors came along, and he was very excited. He said, "You must video this." And so I've started videoing, and I've videoed our progress and, and what happened over those two weeks. And then in a little while after that, we got quite a long way in those two weeks. And then he would come maybe once a month or something. And by the end of that year, he played a Bach and a Mozart piano concerto, um, which was a tremendous, tremendous thrill. And he's gone on since then, which is about 2005 or so, to Having a, a, an enormous career. I mean, you know, he's recorded the Beethoven sonatas twice and mm-hmm. he has recorded uh, the Bach Preludes and Fugues and he's playing all the time and he's still playing all the time. So, whereas he would say his dystonia is, is still there, but it's 96 or 98%, you know, that he's it doesn't really affect him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that's you know, not that common. And I know when I've spoken at conferences and so on, sometimes the world experts, um, like Hans Christian Jabusch mm. and Alton Muller, they say, is that boy still playing? You know, mm. um, they want to know if it hasn't hasn't had a relapse or something. It was an enormous privilege to be able to work with Michael. Mm. And because of that, I thought, well, if there's some other pianist like this, I will, you know, do the same um, protocol with them with each one and then we'll make a scientific um thesis on all of this and one of the doctors that was michael's doctor doctor called dr benjamin speedy um, he was terribly excited about this, and he also wanted piano lessons. He had a Steinway, and he wanted mm-hmm. piano lessons. And I said, I'll tell you what, you help me with my research, and I'll give you piano lessons. So it was a wonderful connection. We went on, and he helped me to make my thesis scientific, because I'm not a scientist. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have had a clue how to make it. So it was scientifically ver- verifiable.
0: I'm just curious, what's this pathology? What's the cause of this uh, focal dystonia? Do you know?
2: Well, they they really don't know. Mm. I think the cause is misuse. I think that what happens is, you see, if I if I look back at Michael's history, um, before his. Um, injury. He was playing the Chopin Etude Opus Ten Number Two, which is very yeah. threatening. for, yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, five four five.
0: Extremely and, uncomfortable.
2: <laughs> very uncomfortable. And he mm. was using that as a warm-up. Now these fingers got muddled up. Now to me, that Etude was probably it might have only been the last straw, mm. but it, it, that crossover yeah. neurologically, if you think of. Um, uh, one of the, one of the um, examples I've used for focal dystonia is it's a bit like um, telephone cables. If you imagine two cables like that that have individual messages, and over the years, they start to rub together, and they rub and rub and rub and rub until the casing wears out, and mm-hmm. then you get a cross-circuit um, happening, so mm-hmm. that the information from one cable gets confused with the other cable. And that's what happens before. So, yeah, the, the cable. So the only way through is to, I don't know that you can break the cables apart, but you've got, you can find new cables. You can replace the old cables with new ones. And that's, in a layman's way of explaining it, I think that's the clearest way I know. Um, you know, look, there are other um, things that the, the researchers will tell you about inhibition, and I could go into lots of scientific things. But I think from a musician's point of view, that to me makes it pretty clear. Mm -hmm. That we have to actually retrain the path, the neural pathways, so we get a fresh message. And then we can build that message up until it takes over the old one that's dysfunctional.
0: With all these experiences, you know, with not only just teaching students, but also helping, you know, world class uh, pianists to prevent injury, or even with injury, you're helping. So then came to your latest publication of Fit for Piano, I believe. So I we really want to know more about it. But um, so creating this set of exercises for pianists and piano students by researching basically, you know, principle of piano technique and injury prevention. Um, so what's your principle of piano technique? Because, you know, piano's history is over 300 years and then the piano technique has involved it because the piano instrument itself has evolved, right? Obviously, we have the more access and knowledge of science. So what is the principle of it, uh, according to you, Dr. (laughs) Adilio, of piano technique?
2: That's a a very big question. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what happened, if we look back to the history of piano, is that um, it came out of harpsichord playing, which the action was very light and very shallow, and people would play just with using their fingers. And then the piano was invented. And so what they thought was that, oh, well, we need to make a bigger sound. So we have to lift our fingers really high and we have to fire them down onto the keys. Now, the thinking was that in order to play, we had to use our fingers. And that was what the focus was. And I mean, although with Liszt, you can see that he obviously did use his arms a lot, I think that what's come out of the history of piano has been a preoccupation with the fingers. And I think that we now know that to play an instrument, you need to involve all of you. So you need to be supported from your feet, your torso, your core of your body, and you need to be free in the shoulders. You need to know how all of that works, um, how your posture works at the piano, how your (laughs) neck is... Um, So it's actually a really whole body thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, with Fit for Piano, I've tried to come at it from the point of view of big gestures um, because I find that most of the students that I get have been playing for years. You know, they've mostly, I'm not teaching beginners anymore. Mm -hmm. So they've had so many years where they've developed all sorts of tensions and, you know, um, bad habits. Mm -hmm. And so... What I decided to do after I came out of the focal dystonia thing, I thought, I just don't want to only work with injured pianists. Mm-hmm. I want to be preventative. And so that's why I got this set of exercises, which deals with the big movements first, mm-hmm. because most of them know about this. But right. what they don't all know about is how to use the arm and how mm-hmm. to support the body and how to move on the sitting bones mm-hmm. and you know, how to actually facilitate the playing by using the whole body. Um, and so that's where focal, That's where for Piano starts, starts with the most um, basic
0: movement. Wonderful. Yeah. Neda, we would like to, uh, for, for you to show us, but before that, so this is not really the method book, right? It's just, it, it's the compilation of technical ideas and exercises that you have found most useful and then also developed over time.
2: Yeah. yeah, that's absolutely right. It's not intended to be something you start at the beginning and you work through. Mm-hmm. It's something to dip into. And what I'm finding is if I have a new student that, you know, has got lots of bad habits, the book is full of video. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll show you that in a moment. But it's full of video so that if I give the student the, the book, mm-hmm. it enables me to give them a lot more exercises than I would be able to do if I just was teaching them for an hour. So I can say, look, this is the exercise, watch the video, that's what Mm -hmm. you need for this week. And then maybe we'll go to rotation. You need this rotation. You can't play the pathetic without your arm working better. So Mm -hmm. do this exercise, or do this exercise because your cantabile, your singing sound, it, it's its not working for you because you're not connecting the weight of the arm with the key. And so then we go into the page about cantabile and we do those exercises. So that's sort of how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's meant to be a help, not a sort of a, a, a book of ideas to help teachers and students to play.
0: You know, what? I'd say because I look through all the pages and it's huge like the information is so much and it's going to take some time for me to uh, although you know i'm a piano teacher i've played piano for a long time and i i've learned technique and everything but this is going to take a long time so to me this is like a bible bible of piano technique (laughs) (laughs) so if you kindly show us what's What's like yes That this episode is presented in collaboration with our good friends at Forte, a free alternative to Zoom purpose-built for
1: music teachers. We're happy to announce that Forte will always be free for music teachers, no string attached. That's right, Forte offers features optimized
0: for classical music lessons, including audio quality far barrier to existing platforms and allowing you to hear every nuance of your student's instrument. Their colleagues at the Royal College of Music, Aspen Music Festival, Curtis Institute, and Berklee College of Music have even used Forte in their own programs.
1: Forte's mission is to radically expand across to high-quality music education worldwide. Forte always puts teachers and their students first. This means you can use Forte with your own students for free forever. And Forte will soon introduce paid features allowing you to connect with new students around the world.
0: Sign up for free today at ForteLessons.com. That's F-O-R-T-E-L-E-S-S-O-N-S dot com. Or click the link in the description. Let's continue with the episode. If you kindly show us. I've had the book
2: beautifully illustrated with some watercolors that an artist did for me. Um, The only problem with that is it looks like a children's book and it's never really been intended to be a children's book. It's just really that I think um, we can understand illustrations really well from little images. So, you know, we, we cover everything in the book from the basis of legato, joint support, staccato, the wrist and cantabile scales and so on. So, I've, I've used images such as, for example, parachute landings in order to fall with a free arm. So, on every page you've got these little videos that pop up and um, then uh, Melody, who was a former student of mine, um, she will show you the kind of things that need to happen. So you can see here she's dropping on her lap because I feel what people can't do at the most basic level is fall with a free arm, but they can usually fall on their lap. And so if we take that to the piano, then um, that will work. And then um, also on the pages, there's, there's pictures of, of me, little videos of me, where I show how these movements um, actually are involved in in all playing, whatever. And as well as that, we've got a little teacher's note at the side here, and that's really to give more information for the teachers. So that will pop up and oh, wow. uh, people can, you know, just get a bit more information. Um, so this book is meant to be simple. It's not meant to take hours... You know, most technique books I have on my shelf, they're very, very long, and they've got lots and lots of musical examples, and I have to confess that I really haven't read all the way through all of them. Um, But if I go on with my book, um, I do a chapter about posture, um, Mm -hmm. just showing this beautiful little girl who's got a lovely straight back and never had a piano lesson, and yet we look at um, some of the university students with all the things that go wrong with them with the (laughs) (laughs) sitting behind the sit bones or the raised shoulder uh, or the raised, you know, the shoulders coming forward. All of these are um, catalysts for injury and need to be fixed. So that's kind of important. Um, Then I I showed you about falling. So at the most basic level, we need to be able to fall on a note and we need to be able to leave a note without tension. Mm -hmm. So that's a basic, a down and an up movement, which is really a a two-note slur. So we fall Mm -hmm. like a parachute and we leave like a hot air balloon. So, you know, it's just a basic exercise like this. But... So that's, you know, the most basic thing we have to do. Then we have to take that over more notes. So we have like three-note slurs, um, like this sort of thing. So we're just joining notes together in bigger gestures, or four notes, Um, and then we can involve... Most of my exercises start without the thumb, um, just simply because the thumb tends to pull us into that position we call on the deviation, which you know it's this kind of uh, right. it's uncomfortable and it's not really helpful. So here we're just adding the thumb, but we're adding it in a strange way by um, coming underneath it. That the gesture, sort of this sort of. Scale. So it's it's not your usual way of learning scales. Now. People often talk to me about um, finger exercises, and yes, they're important. Um, But I think, like everything else, it depends how they're done. So I usually start with just the long fingers, two and three, or three and four, and use, you know, forget the thumb until those are working well. So um, I know, um, you know, in my search to, to find this information, I went around the world and I interviewed people from Juilliard and Eastman and Royal College and so on, um, and uh, the Taubman people are really hot on moving in and out of the black keys so um, mm-hmm. that's it's right. this kind of thing where so um, yeah that's that's sort of moving in and out of the black keys so that it, it, it sort of you're used to using the whole length of the key mm-hmm. um, I've got a chapter about joint support where we use um, silly little exercises like a monkey pulling himself up into a tree, um, spy glasses, and bunny hops which uses it's to help the thumb to be um, nice and flexible with a bit of rotation. Um, and another one for the fifth finger. I won't go into all of those. Um, keeping the, the C shape in the hand mm. Um, so that when we get to a chromatic scale, we've got that sort of sense of support. Uh, and all of these um, videos are within the book. Uh, and then we talk about staccato, using the whole arm first, like a tr- like a bounce on a trampoline, and uh, then we have some sort of using the end of the fingers by using uh, repeated notes. And then things about the wrist. Um, I guess stiffness in the wrist is the most common thing that I see, and I found this particular exercise fantastic for that, Mm -hmm. Uh, and also being able to shape a phrase. I talked a little bit about cantabile, um, Mm -hmm. and then um, scales. Um, I guess that what I've heard with people playing scales is they play four octave fast scales, and they say they've done their scales, but Mm -hmm. if you look at them, they're often really dysfunctional from an from a biomechanical point of view. So I break the scales up into tetrachords, and I've called it um, the Wiggly Snake exercise. So Mm -hmm. it looks a little bit like this. So what we're doing is just literally practicing the turnaround, which is where people get into trouble with the scale so i only practice the first three or four notes and then we get it going into a gesture which i won't go into then Mm -hmm. then we talk about rotation um there's a lot of talk in piano technique about rotation and most of it talks about forearm rotation Um, in my experience i think the upper arm needs to be free as well Mm -hmm. although it doesn't rotate as fast as Mm -hmm. this i think it it needs to be part of the movement so that's my dog shaking itself to get dry with this Um, and then I use little gestures just like I've used in pretty much everything in order to learn that movement so we're just we're floating off the note so that there's no tension mm-hmm. I don't need the wrist to be involved it's just that's to, to release after after the rotation mm-hmm. so and of course that belongs to ro- broken octaves and trills and alberti basses and broken chords mm-hmm. And then different kinds of jumps, Mm -hmm. uh, arpeggios, and ways to play chords so that there's no harshness in the tone. Mm -hmm. And all of those sorts of things, then there's um, voicing and octaves and pedalling and releasing, which I guess is, Mm -hmm. to me, the most important thing in the whole of piano technique
0: thank you so much for sharing um uh, of course you know i incorporate piano technique into weekly piano lessons to my for my students and however the challenge is to be consistent and you know you, you can't keep track of their progress because there's so much information that you have to give but having to have a like a book like this to refer to is uh, I think it's very helpful and as a teacher it's very organized categorized but doesn't seem like sequential as in if your student is having a problem with octaves okay just go to the octave section and then
1: do this exercise that sort of thing
0: Hey guys, we're now officially on Patreon.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited about our next step on this podcast journey.
0: Same here. So dear TPP fans, we love what we do and it's been an incredible journey for both of us for the last two and a half years. And we're now eighth episode into the season three and more than ever, we need your support to continue our work by bringing you highly valuable content bi-weekly by interviewing the A-listers in the industry.
1: So, please go to patreon.com slash and become part of the TPP community by subscribing to us. With your subscription, you will receive monthly subscriber-only exclusive content from our show.
0: That's right. Once again, it's patreon.com slash the pod.
1: We can't wait to connect with you on Patreon very soon.
0: How can we as piano teachers be so consistent with teaching piano technique to our students what's what's the biggest tip that you can give um i will see that's really
2: why i've got the book because to me the the problems they bring can always they always have they come out of one of those categories they come out of maybe their arms not free when they're ba- they're dropping on a note or you know they're locked here or they're locked there um i i think what the the consistency is Uh, let me go back again, one of the things that I've found really successful is to take um, a little group of exercises. You know, not all students will do them. You know, some people think, oh, no, I don't need those. I'm beyond that or something. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a little boy yesterday, and he's one that actually, uh, he didn't think he needed them. And he really does, right? Mm-hmm. He's really, you know, he's somebody who plays the fantasy impromptu really fast. He's 11, and, you know, he wants to play Noam and, Ragen, and He wants to play all these, and there's all sorts of stuff I want right. to get sorted out. So I said to him, I said, listen, We'll do three exercises. I want you to do these every day. And with him, he is really locked here and at the elbow. So with him, I'm doing um, the the gesture exercises, but um, over, I'm jumping across the keyboard. So it's like this. Because I want to get this going. And then I'm doing things like trampoline bounces over the keyboard just because I've got to somehow help him mm. to unlock this and there's another wonderful exercise and it might distort on the on the video but you know when we play a loud sound um, rather than going straight down which is a really horrible sound we can either go forward like this or we can come we can come backwards and mm-hmm. so I've got an exercise called angel swings and this has been so helpful with these kids that are locked. So we, we actually go like this, and we go to the end of the piano. So we go towards the body, and then we go away. And then we do it the other way around. And oh. this apple idea. It's, it's kind of lovely because it opens up the whole of this idea. Mm. And so for me, if I can get even four or five of these exercises done to kind of help all of this whole body stuff, mm. and if they will do them, Then I find their sound and everything else improves. Um, And then find them within the repertoire. Because, you know, when I first started teaching, I wanted to strip people down and do nothing but exercises. Well, no, Mm -hmm. people people won't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't do that anymore. Um, So what I try and do is to work with where they are at, but actually include some of these... Exercises, you know, use the specific ones that they need. I mean, you know, sometimes they'll come and they say, Oh, you know, I can't play the left hand the path of the pat the because my hand, my arm falls off, right? Um, and so you say, Okay, well, your rotation's not working. So we've got to do this rotation exercise, we've got to do this rotation exercise, we've got to do this one and, and float off. And, you know, if they will do that every day, then I find it goes into the piece. Then they've got a tool to practice that bit of the piece with. Um, and I've I found it really works well.
0: So do, do you recommend students to repeat the same exercises over a certain extended period of, of time? Or should we do it maybe uh, for a few days and then do something else and then come back to it?
2: I usually will give them at least three to go on with. So it might be, you know, something like a two-note do one. I think, you, you know, the kids that can't play a tone with... with a beautiful sound. Um, they need that, mm-hmm. and so I get them to fall on their lap and fall on the piano, and then I get them to do a two-note slur. Now, I, you know, that's kind of like where we start, because if we think about it, at the piano, you've got down and upward movements, you've got side to side, you've got round and round, and those are, you know, I think it was Veda Kaplinsky that said that to me that you know we can have down and up, we can have side to side, we can have round and round. And I thought, yeah, that's really great. <laughs> Uh, And we we can rotate, that's the other one. So it's like four, four basic movements. So if I'm trying to help a student, I'll maybe pick one of each of those kind of actions. Mm. Um, You know, maybe we get the down and up going to start with. So maybe if if they really have a lot of tension problems, I'd do a down and up, I'd include it in a two-note slur, I'd include a chord, falling on the chord and floating off, and I'd maybe include a, a... a trampoline bounce, because that's all the same related sort of activity. Maybe they're having trouble with a sort of a a, a broken cord like that that's rotation so therefore we need we need this exercise we also know need something i've called sirens which is just rocking from side to side and maybe doing each one of those twice you know so that we get used to rotating without the wrist going up and down at the same time which slows down the movement so yeah that's how i use it just to take take a little snippet from here and say maybe and when it's, when it's sorted, you can then make the exercise more complicated. So you mm-hmm. can make it more dramatics or you can jump around, um, you know. So, but I found that, that as a warm-up, before mm-hmm. if you do a, 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 something that's a gesture, something that's a jump, um, and something that rotates, you know, and probably the wrist circles one this because that oils the wrist to move around, you know, a warm-up that can take less than 10 minutes much better than four octaves of fast scales
1: you know i i'm really excited to to really dive in into this book you know in preparation of this interview i obviously you know i read a little bit and here and there of the book like but then this morning when I was teaching, it was funny. Uh, so I have some students, they are uh, one of them, they're a couple and they're in their 80s. And uh, the gentleman, I mean, he's amazing. How if you're listening, <laughs> he has been like, he found his Cherney book from 1947. And he was like, I thought I wasn't even start training yet, but now I am. And so now what we're doing is that we're trying to learn some new repertoire because he has read so much repertoire over the years. But I realized the one thing is the we do have a little trouble with technique sometimes. You know, maybe he studied in different stages, but he was never a professional, but he always played beautifully. So this morning we were trying, uh, I had him try the Beethoven number 27, the Sonata. And then normally we have this habit, like sometimes we get a little tense and I really try not to, because, you know, they're in great health, but I still feel like I don't want him to have any pain. Right. And then I felt like now I'm realizing as I'm sitting here, I think it was because I was reading the book last night and something from the book jumped up in my brain this morning when I was teaching him. And then he was able to do this little exercise. And then he was like, oh, no, I don't feel anything then, you know, like it was just a small, small things like you're saying. And I didn't really thought that this book was for children, but now I'm realizing it's for adults. So I'm really you're more excited about that
2: everybody you know i mean in, in my examples inside the book i've used really simple um examples but also you know chopin etudes so it's like it doesn't matter the the, the basics Absolutely. that we need are the same but there's no way you can play four pages of a chopin etude if you can't actually incorporate some kind of, of freedom in the arm you know Um, Or you're just going to get stiff. And I think if you, you know, if you use an unhealthy movement over four bars and then you play for four pages, you're going to be tired.
0: Right. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with this amazing uh, book... So you have this collaborator, your student, Melody Deng, as she is the exercise model. And what an appropriate name for her Mm -hmm. uh, her role. And also, I love that illustration, uh, which is done by uh, Yurie Ogura. Um, So you told me that you're making a course out of this uh, book. So can you tell us a
2: little bit? Sure. I think, as I said earlier, you know, one of the problems with those lovely illustrations, it looks a little bit like a book for kids. And I just wanted to, um, with the course, go into more advanced repertoire, you know, the more, um, yeah, I, I guess, for people that have been playing, you know, four or five years or 10 years or however many years, and also for teachers. So although in the in the course, we've used all the same kind of categories of staccato, legato, cantabile, um, arm weight, uh, releasing, all of those things are within the course, but with a lot more information. So the course is made up of, Um, 20 lessons, and they're roughly a half an hour each. And so in each of the lessons, I will talk and I play quite a bit to show examples. I'll talk about the concept and the exercise that I would use to establish it and how it relates to that repertoire. And then at the end of each t- chapter, I have these workouts with Melody. Now, this is where she takes the exercises from the book or from the course, actually something, you know, I, I've actually refined some of them and added other, others, but she takes them and she does them so that you can um, put your viewing device up on the piano desk and you can play along with her. So. She will be doing two notes slurs or whatever she's doing, and I will talk and I say, be careful of your elbow, be careful your arm does this, watch that you don't fall too far. If your wrist moves when you're doing rotation, take a pair of scissors and stop it moving like this. And so Melody's doing, so each of her little excerpts, maybe they're six or seven minutes long, Mm -hmm. the student can play along with her. And I think that's going to be a really important keystone Mm -hmm. for the course. Because um, what, what I find, and, and you probably find as teachers, if you do something with the student and they watch your hand, they learn it really well. Mm-hmm. So with this, if they do something by as looking at melody and working along, so we've got printed, um, printouts of all the exercises to go with it, they'll be downloadable. And so <laughs> the student can have the download of knowing what's coming next um melody will do the exercise i give instruction and i think that that will kind of cement each chapter um so that i'm I'm sort of excited about that i think people will find that really helpful
0: yeah i I am too i'm I'm going to send my students to your course yes definitely and and it you said um it will be available soon Yes, we're, we're planning
2: to launch it in the middle of January, so um, we're hopeful that that's, that's all going ahead. So we're about to start to launch some, some videos and um, uh, also some uh, expressions of interest so people can be notified about when the course is coming up because there will be an early bird um, discount and you know, special um, prices for this and so on. So, um, yeah, that's, that will come out in the middle of January.
0: And then the website is the uh,
1: fitforpiano.co.nz
0: and you yeah. can find more information. Great, yeah. wonderful.
1: I'm curious of, of the album you were mentioning earlier of um, that you played, you had uh, this um, CD, right? Recently re- released with your daughter and the son-in-law and uh, and you discuss, I mean, it, it's, it's so cool that first of all, to play with family members. <laughs> I always find that, uh, you know, I wish I had uh, more siblings or, you know, I'm not from a musical family. And also to this is you as you mentioned to us earlier that it was kind of a first project that you felt you felt comfortable with your hand after the injury. Yeah. Could you t- briefly tell us?
2: Well, I think um, it really it, w- it was um, because well, no, maybe I go back a little. Um, I had a little brush with cancer about six years ago. At my rehabilitation. I started to try to experiment if I could play, if I could get my time a little bit more than forty minutes, you know. And I I found Absolutely. that possible, but I couldn't do more than an hour. Anyway, um, it was then that I, you know Andrew said, well, if you're playing, why don't we try and work towards something? And so the, the CD, which is full of beautiful songs, it's um, really the song repertoire of Schubert and Brahms and absolutely lovely lyrical um, songs so nothing sort of wildly technically demanding for me but just enabled me to to play and express myself again so it was a it was a really beautiful experience and um, I, I think also the interesting thing about it was that when we started to prepare again as a duo mm. suddenly my pain I had a relapse and I thought oh no what wow. in this happened I can't do this and I thought well I'm just going to do it anyway it doesn't matter how much it hurts but I found because of doing this course and working away at um, this is the course on chronic pain um, working away at reprogramming the neural pathways then I was able to actually complete the re- recording which was over two days and come out of it pain-free which was a tremendous thrill and then to just you know a couple of years later, we've done a concert, a full concert.
1: That's um, amazing. A
2: real beautiful experience for me. So I was just, as I said earlier, it was like coming home. So right. Was, the whole thing has come its full circle, and that's lovely. <laughs>
1: That is so beautiful. And how long ago was that? It was uh, oh, was that?
2: It was actually only a few months ago. Um, so the, the CD came out, I think, a couple of, couple
1: of years ago. Yeah. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm so happy you can play again. That's, hey, congratulations. Uh, you know. Now, well, as a tradition, we also would like to ask you, and I know you have worked with uh, a lot of college students and conservatory and professionals, but we, we, you can mean I actually, we do, uh, still focus a lot on younger musicians and so we would like to know uh, what is uh, advice or some advices you could give to these younger generation musicians
2: yeah i i think the main thing that i'm i've always wanted with with my teaching is that mm-hmm. i give the students the joy of music you know, that, they, that it's something that they can have for their lives. I don't want to only train for specific competitions or deadlines or exams or something. I want them to have the experience of being able to play with for pleasure um, and to be able to play as effortlessly as they are able. So, yeah, I guess that's my passion and the way I want with, with my course and with my book – I want people to have the freedom to create the music they have in their hearts and, and to be able to share that um, with others or just to be able to play for their own pleasure. And so to me, it doesn't really matter if they go out and win the competition. That's a bonus. And it's lovely to hear your students play really beautifully. I mean, One of my students has done two concertos this year. She's done the Ravel and she's done Chopin E minor. And wonderful to hear her play with orchestra with those pieces. Um, but that's not my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is that the person is developed into somebody who's a beautiful individual, and that they can love music, that they can really have something in their soul that they can, you know, they can play, they can enjoy for their life. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. That's so, so wonderful. You know, and we are, we still have a long way to go. And but just seeing you as a great example, as, as a teacher, as an educator, as a, but as a musician, you know, a performer that and now you're able to play again, I'm looking forward to see what else is coming. So we just want to remind our audience of uh, Dr. DeLeo's uh, piano technique publication, Fit for Piano is available on Fit for number four, piano.co.nz and her piano technique courses will be available in January 2023. So are we ready for the the fun part of our podcast? <laughs> and so Dr. Dilio and we ask our audience to go very quick, you know, you don't have to think so hard so much and it's just a, whatever comes to mind. So you kimi, would you like to start? sure so um it's the rapid fire so my question
0: number one what is your comfort food my comfort
2: food is definitely chocolate
0: cats or dogs cat oh
2: probably dogs but probably neither i, I we we have had cats but mm-hmm. i've never really been a cat person i quite like dogs but again You know, I guess when I was traveling and doing concerts, we were away and, you know, you can't really have animals and be away touring. So yeah, I never really got into that.
0: Okay. What is your word or words to live by? I
2: I think one needs to be considerate of others. I think that's a a really important thing to to try and um, relate to other people. I guess I'm a people person. Um, I'm also um I'm a I'm a Christian and I those that side of my life is important to me. So I try and live by those principles.
1: Wonderful. What is the most important quality you look for in other people?
2: I think um gentleness, fun, mm-hmm. um those sorts of things and the ability to be open and share, I think that's important. And the ability to listen, mm-hmm. I think all of those things are important.
0: Please name three people who inspire you, living or dead.
2: Um, I mean, my teachers have inspired me, the teachers that I had. I think each of the three teachers that I had in the UK were incredibly inspiring. Bridget Wilde, uh, for her um, methodical approach to learning the piano, um, I think Cyril Smith, for his, the way that he helped you to listen to your own playing, I think was the most important thing I got from him. And Maria Curcio, well, she was just an extraordinary person um, and like nobody else that I've, I've ever met. Um, so, yeah,
1: those are three inspiring people. And uh, now we want to know what is uh, one piece in your current playlist?
2: One of the pieces that I absolutely love is the Schubert Quintet. The Schubert um, Quintet with um, yeah, I absolutely love that piece. And I guess... Yeah, if I'm looking for something to comfort
0: my soul, as it were,
2: I'd go for that. I'd go for Schubert.
0: Yeah. So the last question. Fill in the blank, please. Music is blank. Music is incredibly
2: enriching. Um, Music adds... Oh, you only want me to give one word. Um, That's too hard. (laughs) Um, Music can elevate our souls to beyond ourselves, I think. And so I would hate to be without music. Music is uh, important to the core of my being.
1: Mm. Yes. Thank you so much to be on our show. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you very much, that's been a terrific interview, thank you.
1: So that concludes this episode of The Piano Pod. Thank you Dr. DeLeo for joining us today and sharing your stories, insights and expertise. You can find more information about Dr. DeLeo at redaleo.com. Uh We want to encourage our audience, check out the Her Piano Technique publication uh, Fit for Piano through its website at fortforpiano.co.nz. Out links are listed in the description below thank you to wonderful audience and fans for tuning in today
0: if you enjoyed today's episode please rate and review it on whatever podcasting platform you use if you are watching us on youtube remember to hit the thumbs up button and subscribe to our channel you can also find us on facebook twitter instagram and linkedin the links are in the description below
1: if you're interested in being the guest or are recommending someone to be on our show as a guest or you'd like to sponsor collaborate with us, shoot us an email at the at gmail.com or send us a DM via social media. We will see you for the next episode of The Piano Pod. Bye
0: everyone and thank you so much, Dr. Delio.
1: Thank you so thank much you. for being on our show. Thank you.